Frank, let's give some love to these phone booth fighting sponsors who make this thing possible for you and I to do. Uh, Low T Nation, of course, has been a uh, at this point a longtime backer of ours, and uh, each and every week we're hearing from more male phone booth fighting listeners. Who, uh, let's be honest, we love the ladies, and uh, we do have some female listeners, but uh, turns out there's a lot of dudes that listen to this podcast, and turns out there's a lot of dudes that have benefited by going to lowtnation.com and calling the toll-free number, talking to uh, Brandon and Dr. Weeks out there in Atlanta, Georgia, and getting hooked up not only with a free telephone consultation, but some preliminary lab work to see if uh, they are a candidate for Low T Nation treatment. Maybe they're uh, losing a little pep in their step. Maybe they're getting a little older. Maybe they're feeling their age a little bit as uh, we we cruise from our uh, late 30s into our 40s, maybe even on up into our 50s. And uh, it's literally turning back the uh, sands of time. That's what I'm hearing on our social media anyway from phone booth fighting listeners. And I know you preach the, uh, the aspects not only of good health and good feeling but also the convenience of this plan as well absolutely if you're not feeling top notch and you know a lot of people out there made new year's resolutions and they're finding out that they're just kind of you know turning their wheels in the mud you're not getting the results for the amount of effort you're putting forth give brandon and uh jason a call they'll give you a free consultation at that point if it looks like you're checking off the appropriate boxes they can send you down to any of the lab cores that are found in every state here in the country and uh, get your blood drawn, get it checked out. The physicians will check it out. And if it's showing that you're somebody that is in need of some time of assistance uh, uh, medically, that they can figure it out, get you going. And then, like you alluded to, it's the most convenient. To, it'll be sent to your house every month. That's all you have to do. Go to lowtnation.com, call that number, and uh, get on the road to feeling younger than you are, courtesy of lowtnation.com, and let them know that uh, Frank Mir and Richard Hunter of Phone Booth Fighting sent you. This podcast also, Frank, brought to you by Ellefson Coffee. ElefsonCoffeeCo.com is the website. If you love coffee like me and if you love rock and roll like I do, Ellefson Coffee is a match made in heaven. If you recognize the last name, the uh, namesake of the proprietor, it's Dave Ellefson, bass player of Megadeth. And, uh, you know, that's kind of the interesting thing about the the the, the rockers, Frank, uh, like like uh, Dave and like Megadeth, bands that have have been around long enough and they've had a certain level of success that uh, now that um, it's not uh, uh, sex, drugs, and rock and roll all night, every night, sometimes now it's diversification. It's rock and roll and uh, investing in side businesses for the future. And uh, Dave's got a good one with Ellison Coffee. Yeah, I guess you got to slow down. Uh, the hardest thing you put in your body has to turn into become, start to become coffee pretty soon. Uh, That's right. <laughs> not everybody can be Keith Richards, right? <laughs> That's right. That's right. But Dave's got a uh, he's got an awesome thing going down there in uh, in Phoenix with Ellison Coffee. It's uh, uh, if you uh, enjoy uh, premium coffee like I do, uh, then then Dave is putting together some amazing roasts. And uh, you can order it all online at ellefsoncoffeeco.com. He's got signature roasts for a number of bands that you've heard of. There's a Queensryche signature host. There's a Skid Row signature roast. And uh, there's light roast. There's dark roast. There's even the Kenya Thrash, which is uh, somehow infused with extra caffeination. Dave, Dave will have to explain that to you. But uh, I know it's got a bigger kick than... Um, 
the uh, the other roasts do, and it's what you immediately gravitated towards. So that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, yeah hey, go big or go home. That's right. Uh, use the promo code phone booth to save ten percent off your entire order. That's promo code phone booth to save ten percent when you go to Ellefson E L L E F S O N Coffee Co. dot com. All right, Frank, uh, coming up here shortly, uh, as in maybe about 15 minutes or so, we're going to be joined by Aaron Pico, uh, who's going to be competing at Bellator 199 this uh, Saturday night. He's going to be on the undercard of King Mo and Ryan Bader in the next round of the Bellator Heavyweight Grand Prix Tournament. So we're going to be looking forward to talking to Aaron. And I thought it would take just two seconds here to talk about a couple of uh, upcoming guest bookings that we have because we do have a lot of new listeners. One thing that your fight with Fedor did for us is, and and we actually need to thank Bellator for this because they really – helped to promote the podcast, to be honest with you, during the week of the fight. Uh, they were retweeting our stuff and, uh, and our episodes and things like that. We really appreciate it. Uh, so just if, especially if you're new to the program and, and you want to know what you might be able to look out for on upcoming phone booth fighting episodes, uh, the first episode of next week, I believe Cody Garbrandt's going to be joining us, who's got his rematch set with TJ Dillashaw for uh, the Bantamweight title. Also, In studio, speaking of rockers, we're going to have Ricky Rocket. The drummer from Poison is going to be with us uh, next week, toward the end of next week. Now, you may ask yourself, all right, well, you know, it's interesting to hear people talk about music, but I'm just here for the martial arts. Stick around. Ricky Rocket is a jiu-jitsu black belt, and I did not know this until about a year ago. And we had him on the show, and uh, it was great because as much – Rock and roll, as we talked, he just wanted to talk more jiu-jitsu. Right. So uh, I think when we have him up in studio, it's going to be a very jiu-jitsu intensive uh, conversation because he had been training for, I can't remember what he told us, but 15 years? or I mean, it was a a lengthy amount of time. It's surprising, you know, and I I guess it shouldn't be surprising when you find out how many people in the entertainment field, Mm -hmm. you know, when they fall in love with something, they kind of bring it with them and and have trainers with them. And, you know, I think everybody more, you know, very famously knows about, was it it a... a, a, What's it, Ed? Oh, the dad Albany. from Married with yeah, Children. Uh, uh, what's his name? Um, uh, hold on, Ed. Uh, uh, I want to do it without looking it up. Yeah, I know. I know it's cheating, right? You yeah. feel you feel less cool uh, when you have to look it up. It. Everybody at Ed home. O'Neill. Ed yep, O'Neill. Everybody at home is shouting the name. Yeah, yeah, thanks. There you go, Ed O'Neill. Yeah, legit black belt. Yeah, yeah. And uh, and the interesting thing too about Ricky. First of all, he's a very nice guy, and we had him on before. If, if you don't go back that far with us, we had a great visit with him. He Skyped in with us from the road uh, the first time we had him on. This time he's going to be in studio because Poison is going to be here uh, in Las Vegas playing. And, boy, by the way, Frank, this may not resonate with you, but Poison's opening act that night is Cheap Trick. Cheap Trick is in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Like oh, there, Ricky's on there. Oh, the it's blue. just look. This is his tournament. Where'd you find from, this? Uh, YouTube. This is from 2010, I believe it said. Okay, so here's so this is uh, seven eight years ago. Yep, that's Ricky doing a uh, black belt tournament. All right. Well, how about we do a little spontaneous fight companion? Yeah, what no, do you say? I, I see this. Okay, he appears to be taking on uh, Brazilian jiu jitsu dude. Ricky's got his. Uh, Signature poison hair going. This is awesome. 
clasp of hands. Neither guy going for a takedown just yet. A little hand fighting. Ricky working the outside there. Okay, Ricky pulls guard. What are you seeing here, Frank? Well, the other guy got his knee and did a good job of being able to put the uh, shield up. That's why he's splitting the guard, but now Ricky's doing a good job of not letting it be compromised. Posting. His opponent now is pulling the post. They have a sleeve battle going on. They got to reset him, bring him back out to the center there. Dang, that ref's strong. Yeah, he is. He's pulling both those guys back to center. So Ricky's got, got a half guard going there. Got a couple of good, good grips going. What should he be going for here, Frank? What would you do? Well, I like how he has using the butterfly hook yeah. to compromise. Oh, he lost it there. Once the hook was compromised, that's when his opponent was able to drive forward. Now he's in side control. So he gave up three for the pass. And now, so now you just have to restructure. You, know, you made a mistake there, so he has mm -hmm. a pass. Oh. Now he's giving up his back here. Oh. He's back into close guard. Yeah, he, he Ricky gets back on top. Posting not get up, and his opponent, instead of uh, being a little bit more secure, taking the back, tried to go for submission at the same time. Yeah. It allowed Ricky to uh, end up on top now and close guard. Doesn't count as a sweep, though, because his legs weren't really involved. I think Ricky's looking at the clock there, or maybe his corner. Well, I think he realizes he's down by three points, but sometimes, and obviously I don't think Ricky's confused at his level, Guys will think, okay, well, we reverse positions. I should get a reversal on points. Yeah. It's, like, it's not a sweep. Oh, okay. Just because you ended up on top doesn't mean you swept him. Yeah. Or reversed him. Yeah. Uh, uh, he's stacking. Yeah, but he's too far forward. Okay. There you go. Now he has his own knee in there. If you're watching our Phone Booth Fighting YouTube channel, you can see the video of Poison drummer Ricky Rocket competing in a jiu-jitsu tournament at the uh, black belt level. They call time? No, he oh. tried to do a kind of a sacrifice roll through the past the guard. Okay, now he's back on bottom. And... If he's short on time, I agree with that move. Yeah. If you have time to work, nah. Yeah. It's a high risk. So Ricky still was still trying to work his butterfly hook. Now, now he's... Yeah, the guy did a good job of passing by holding the bottom... Yeah. Leg. So the other guy's passed to side control now again. So who's who's up right now? Is guy in the white. Is it still Not three Ricky. points? Well, now no, he has actually. He, he got another more. for the next cross because side. Okay. Ricky had him in a legitimate right. guard. He was able to pass the legs. You get yeah. three points. I swear, my greatest jujitsu accomplishment may be one day understanding the scoring system of tournaments. They could make it simpler. Like, I think it should be three points for being on the side of somebody. Mm -hmm. So just like in an MMA fight, we go, oh, yeah, side control. Mm -hmm. But in jiu-jitsu, we only give you those three points if you pass someone's guard. Yeah. So meaning that, like, for example, if you and I are fighting, and I throw you to your back, and I'm on side control. Yeah. I got two points for the takedown, but I didn't get any points for being on the side of you. Yeah. Because I okay. didn't pass your guard. Even though, if now, if I took you down with a double and I was in your guard, I get two points. 
and then I pass your guard, I get three points for passing your guard. And essentially end up in the same position. All right. Now he had, his opponent had knee on belly there for a second. Yeah, and now Ricky's trying to avoid getting mounted points. Right. He did. He was able to push the leg between the legs. Back to half guard here. Yep. Protecting his uh, neck there. You know, his opponent's trying to pull that. Oh, oh go. Well, okay, now, now he's got Ricky's back. Uh, Ricky needs to get his right elbow through, hold the, the right sleeve of his opponent, and try to square up to him. Or if he's caught right now on the left, he can go and put his back to the mat. And avoid the mount by starting to fight for the hip position. Sitting out, right? Like when yeah, you say put his back to the mat. You can go to the back of the mat, but now he's being choked, you know. But uh, by putting your back on the mat, you're completely, you're much yeah. safer. You don't have to worry now about head and arm and stuff. Was that time? Yeah. What, what does his opponent have? Like so a collar choke or something there, right? Yeah. For a second? Like one handed? Yeah, yeah, the collar yeah. And underneath, you know, almost. Yeah. And some good sportsmanship there. That's what the commentators always have to do. They always have to acknowledge good sportsmanship. All right. Well, I'll tell you what. That was more exciting than my silver medal match at Naga. I'll tell you that. You know, it's funny. I, I, uh, I saw the guy... That, that's awesome. Thank, good work on that, Mikey. Thank you. Way to, way to find that. Ricky's going to be excited that uh, Frank did a spontaneous uh, fight companion uh, on his, uh, <laughs> his jiu-jitsu match. No, when I did my, my Naga tournament, the guy that beat me for the gold medal, this guy named Dennis, he actually trains at Drysdale's. Mm -hmm. And I didn't I hadn't trained at Drysdale's yet up to that point. So now I've seen him. We run into each other at Drysdale's and everything. And it's funny because we had a conversation not very long ago, one class. He goes, You know what? He goes, Have you watched our video, our video of our match? And I go, Yeah, yeah, I've watched it. And he goes, Don't you remember it as being like a real war? And I go, Yeah. And he goes, it was really boring. <laughs> I go, yeah, it really was. When you watch it, you're like, look at those two old guys. But, boy, when you're in there, you're like, oh, this is the battle for my life. Yeah. You know? Yeah. yeah. That's one thing that I think that hurts grappling in general. That's why, you know, wrestling has never been as popular as boxing as far as selling tickets. You know, yeah. you get the greatest wrestlers in the world at the Olympics. And, you know, and then you say we're going to watch boxing or watch Olympic level wrestling, and, and boxing always is obviously the money maker. You know, I don't know of anybody who turned pro, you know, legitimately is wrestling and able to sell out, you know, and make millions of dollars because, yeah. you know, wrestling and, and grappling arts in themselves are just slower paced. They're 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 so, and then the better each guy gets, sometimes they could just, you know, there are battles that are occurring where it's just too, you know a rock and an, you know what do they say like it's an immovable object and an unstoppable, unstoppable object force. yeah an unstoppable, unstoppable force and movable object yeah thank you and um watching those things collide even though they themselves are experiencing like how you felt incredible amount of just torture and anguish but to the outside it's like 
well, these two guys are just kind of hugging each other. What the fuck? Mm-hmm. You know, this is boring. You know, it's like, no, actually, the one guy's got his hips locked and he's trying to pull his hips back, and the other guy's trying to push in, but now he senses the other guy's going to throw him, and now they're driving and grabbing and twisting, and it's like, ah, oh, I just see two guys stuck in 50 50. It's like, yeah, I guess that's what you could see, but there's so yeah. much more to it. But to the untrained eye or to somebody from the outside, it can be very boring. You know, mm-hmm. it's like, well, this guy's just inside of his guard. I'm like, oh, man, you know, no, that's. That's well, Ioki, man. That's not just being inside someone's guard, man. Like, you know, yeah. you don't know what's going on here right now. Well, and that, that that's how I used to describe to people, like, you know, the the original uh, catchphrase of the UFC, uh, as real as it gets, you know. Yeah. Uh, it really was that. And, and because it was as real as it gets, sometimes it's not real exciting. No. You know, it was not the choreographed uh, action film that a lot of people are used to seeing with fight scenes and things like that. But that actually makes it real. Well, uh, I tell you what. We've got a, a few minutes until uh, Aaron Pico calls in and talk about his upcoming Bellator fight. So this is actually a good segue. I, I was planning on getting to this later on the show, but um, this will this will be a good segue because we just watched Ricky's uh, uh, jiu-jitsu match there. You know, Poison, I think we brought this up in our interview with Ricky. The Poison, which has still has the original four guys in it. Brett Michaels is the singer, the front guy that is very well known. But He did the uh, reality show. Yes, but... Sorry, people. That's where I know him from. <laughs> no, it's true. Yeah, that's Rock of Love. Rock of love. But Brett Michaels, the bass player Bobby Dahl, and the guitar player C.C. DeVille have all, over the years, the, the band's had, I think they all get along well now, but, but there's, been a, uh, the, there's been a lot of discord uh, in that band, and they've gotten into a number of actual fist fights on stage. Only among those three I just named. <laughs> What's crazy is the jiu-jitsu black belt is the guy who doesn't get in any fights, just stays behind the drums. And I actually think that's kind of a good testament to what we talk about martial arts training being good for, Yeah, which is just grounding your perspective on that. That and the other people realize they don't want to get choked the yeah, fuck right, out. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> yeah, nobody's picking a fight with him. That's like a... I, what, what's the guy's name? Not Larry Merchant, but the, the other... Uh, Jim Lampley? Jim Lampley. Mm-hmm. He was talking about that brawl that broke out <laughs> with um, with Galata and was it... Uh, uh, Oritic Bow? Yeah. yeah. When Galata basically yeah. was winning the fight, yeah. but then kept hitting him in the groin. Yes. You know what I mean? and, and so then a big riot broke out there in, in the arena. And uh, Jim Lampley on an interview, I heard him saying, he goes, look, I thought we were screwed. Like, we're dead. Like, people are getting stabbed and thrown around. He goes, all of a sudden, then uh, uh, George Foreman just stands up, turns around. He goes, we're basically hiding behind him. He goes, no one even looked our way. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you think about it, you're beating people up and you're looking like, I'm going to fuck someone up. And you look over there. There's George Foreman. Okay, I'm going to go fuck someone else yeah. up. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I don't want to get hit by that guy. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. So, so... Good. So this sets up what what I was going to bring up with you. You do, you don't even know about this. I haven't even told you the story yet. So a couple of weeks ago, I think I told you guys on the on the show that I was going to see Judas Priest in L.A. Yeah. So uh, Jennifer and I go out there. Great time. Great concert. And one of the guys. Aren't you going again this weekend? Uh, no, not this weekend. No. Yeah, because that's the reason why we can't do the. Uh Travis called us up to have a barbecue, and you're going somewhere. No, it's just a local show. Oh, okay. I got tickets for a local show. Oh. Yeah. Um, but uh, so so I'm in L.A. a couple of weeks ago. So uh, there's a big thing right now with 
everybody pulls out cell phones at concerts and they film. Yeah, and yeah Instagram you were telling me about a new thing where you get to lock it up. And yeah, shit. there's always a big debate about that. And and honestly, for right now, I mean, it's something I try to be really courteous about. Like if everybody's got them up and they're filming or something, I don't worry so much about it. Okay, now this also happens at because <laughs> I'm aware that you're probably yeah. not aware of this. Yeah. At, at, at your child's events, whether oh, it's plays sure. and stuff yeah. like that. Yeah. You have all the parents hold up the phones. Everybody wants to take pictures. And, and, and I've come accustomed to that. That's just reality now. You know, yeah. it used to be just people had a camera. Yeah. You know, uh, when Isabella was a baby, that was before the iPhone. I didn't use a phone. Now everybody has phone, iPhones mm -hmm. or, or, or uh, Androids. You know what annoys the fuck out of me? I'm like, huh. really, dude? Is the people hold up fucking iPads. Oh, yeah, that's a bad uh, that, That's just like, I mean, like, uh, even the people that sit there and go, okay, this is my experience. I'm videotaping. Yeah. We can debate about the iPhone, but I think we can all unite together on the fact that you're a douche when you pull out the fucking iPhone. At that iPad. point, you're just holding up a small screen television. Yeah. And now they got the yeah. new pros yeah. out that are like, yeah. you know, 12 inches yeah. and shit. Yeah. I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, come on, for yeah. real, dude. If you're going to do that and that's all you have to your, you know, you, you went to the kids' event, you looked at your phone, your gigabytes are all fucking used up, yeah. and you're like, ah, shit. Stand in the aisle. Stand in the back. Right. I mean, there's ways that you can still be cautious that you're not the only fucking human being in the room. You know so I mean? so that's that, – go ahead, Mike. I was going to say, uh, I worked the, the WNBA game the other day, and they had a band playing in halftime and mm -hmm. the beginning, mm -hmm. and a guy stood right in front of our real camera that oh, was connected yeah, to the Jumbotron. Yeah, yeah. With an iPad, <laughs> and I, I had to, uh -huh. I had to give him the tap and the thumb. Yeah, and luckily he was nice. But then he turned around and he filmed the jumbotron instead of the band. Oh yeah, so he filmed the jumbotron. So he filmed the recording of the recording. I always want to know. Like I, mean, I know we're kind of going off on a tangent yeah. here, but does anybody fucking go back and look at some of the shit they videotape? I'll like here's my here's here's one of mine. Mm -hmm. Fucking fireworks. Like, oh, yeah. fireworks are, to me are mildly amusing. I'm not one of those people who go, oh, shit, fireworks. Right. I'm like, they're cool, but I'm not going to stand in line for an hour to watch fucking fireworks. It's like, fuck, you've seen fireworks once, you've seen fireworks. They're not that fucking cool. I, I don't know. I mean, I don't know if I'm, you know, pissing anybody's brain well, here, but, but you see those guys that sit there and they're not even able to really appreciate it because now they're watching the fireworks through the fucking screen of their phone. And mm. I've always wondered, I'm like, Dude, are you really going to – I mean, one thing is your kid. Like, I go back. I have videos of Bella running touchdowns, mm -hmm. Cage sacking the quarterback. I can go back, and I sit in my hotel room. I'm traveling, and I get to reminisce. Oh, yeah, let me look at this. You know, my kid. Yeah, you know, like those moments that you mm -hmm. get to capture. Does fireworks count as a fucking moment you're capturing? Like, are you yeah. ever going to go back and like, dude, 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 4th of July, <laughs> 2014, check this <laughs> shit out. You know what I mean? Like, No, I'm, I'm with you on that. I – and as far as filming a show, I don't. I, I I'm there to experience it live, like everybody really should be. I will get a little video, maybe of one song, just something to remember yeah, it. Yeah. And then also maybe you're gonna post on your Instagram something That's, like that. Yeah, you know, Jen does that. Yeah. We're out somewhere. You know, I bought her ticket somewhere nice, Mariah Carey. We're yeah. sitting yeah. in the second fucking row or something. You know what I mean? She'll videotape for about a good fifteen to twenty seconds. Right sends it to her sisters yeah. hey look where i'm at you know turns the camera to face herself like yeah. and i get that it's it's like okay i'm enjoying the moment but now i'm sharing with loved right. ones here's a tidbit of what i'm doing tonight yeah i get it yes. but when the people sit there and they fucking videotape the whole thing i'm like 
Really? Right. I no, and I I understand that. So so this is just I'm giving you a perspective of where I'm at in the, on this whole spectrum. Yeah, I'm yeah. not somebody who stands there and films the entire thing, but you know maybe you get a a, a moment or two of video. So yeah, I, I, I'm, just, with yeah. I'm with you. I'm with you. I think yeah. that the so, few seconds of enjoying the moment I think is more than appropriate. Yeah. I think the complete ban of the cell phones is a little bit much. Yeah. But I think the problem is is we don't have people enough people like you and I who are like all right look. Take it out for 15, 20 seconds. Take your fucking Instagram pic, whatever you're going to send yeah. your friends and family, and then put the fucking phone away. Right. So so I went, and, and people are, and if I also, if I'm at a show where no one is filming, I don't do it. I mean, I'm not going to be the one person that's doing something where no one else is doing it. If that just seems to be the vibe of where everybody's going, okay, we don't want, like, I, you know, I like uh, Jason Isbell a lot. I go see him. Not a lot of people film there. It's kind of more of like a theater type show. Okay, I don't film that. But at Judas Priest, it's a raucous rock show. There's plenty mm -hmm. of people filming while this is going on. So anyway, I make it all the way to the encore. I haven't filmed anything and they bring out glenn tipton who has uh parkinson's right now he had to like not go on the road with him he's like one of their founding members and they just brought him out to play an encore because his health is deteriorating but he can still play a few songs so i start filming like just as they bring him out crowd reaction you know like you said 20 seconds or something of it i'm filming it and from behind me i feel somebody push me Pretty fucking hard. Really? Oh, yeah. And they'd already gone into breaking the law at that point, so it's loud and I all that kind of stuff. People. Right, right. So yeah. I, I turned around, and there's stereotypical drunk metal guy uh, going, right. like I can't even make out what he's saying, but he's clearly gesturing like, I can see, you know, like, because the, the phone was, in. now never mind that everybody in the place has their arms up like this, yeah. you know, in front of them. But uh, that's obviously what he was referencing. Now, this is the reason I bring it up. You know, I really don't find myself in a lot of like bar fight kind of situations. And in a situation like that, I'm always very conscientious of crowds. Like, you don't need, if it's at all avoidable, a physical confrontation breaking out where a big crowd of people where people can get hurt that aren't even part of what's going on, I think. I mean, I don't think just because you look at me crossways, we have to have a fight, and then you're, somebody else's girlfriend is going to get a random elbow Okay, because this is recorded and I don't want it to be used against me in a yeah. court of law. Um, we're going to have a discussion. I'll tell you what we can do in crowded areas that actually that is to your benefit that if uh, for him being that way, there is all kinds of wonderful, spectacular things we can do to a human being. OK, that um, we'll, we'll, we'll talk. Here's what this I want. OK, that's like, fine. Yeah. In the future, yeah. you're going to you're going to sit there and go, oh, fuck. OK. What a great opportunity yeah. I have right now in front of me. Well, speaking of the opportunity, this is just the thought I wanted to share with you before we get Aaron Pico on the line. I realized that this was, I've encountered these situations very seldom in my life, but this was the first time I had really encountered this situation since I had been training a number of years in jiu-jitsu. Mm -hmm. And I realized, the guy was bigger than me, but he was, he was you know, doughy, fat, like sloppy, drunk Inigrated. guy yeah, who, if anything, was going to take a wild swing, right? right. And in my mind at that moment i was just assessing the situation i was like okay i could totally handle this guy and it's okay like i looked at him and i just shook my head like you shouldn't do that and his friend he had a friend who was like 
sorry. Like, you know, this guy's fucking idiot. Sorry, he's drunk, you know, which kind of tempered the situation a little bit, too. But I just, it was interesting to me to be in that situation and rather than have any kind of freak out thought to actually go, okay, well, I would know what to do if I had to do something here, but it's it's okay. It was just interesting because I had never actually been confronted with that. Is that what you would do? Yeah. Um, hmm. Yeah. I mean, you're not gonna you're not gonna get it the same way I'm gonna get it. Just, I mean, even size alone. Yeah, I know my size helps. Yeah, and hurts me. But put yourself in my put yourself in my position. Yeah, I guess second. you know what? Because I've fought. I've been a martial artist for mm-hmm. so long. Um, I don't get that. Well, that thought doesn't cross my mind really. Like in that situation, like if I was in you. My idea is like, okay, is violence needed right now? Yeah, like, right. Know, I, I sit there and I go, okay, violent assessment. And that was my thought. It wasn't needed. Is it needed? Yeah. You know, and then if it is needed, how am I going to apply this and get away with it at the same time? Yeah. You know what I mean, like, what's my escape route? Because I realize that, you know, the the part of my brain that's always turned on is I don't want to get sued. You know, sure. the part of my brain that I need Connor to have turned on a little bit is that I'd only think about criminal lawsuits. I'm always thinking about civil lawsuits, you know, yeah. so I'm sitting there going, how do I get away with this if I need to go ahead and, you know, cause you know, yeah. just cause the other guy's the asshole doesn't mean when the cops show up, I'm the one, the one getting fucking arrested. I've been yeah. There. <laughs> and I'm, I'm, and, and I'm, I'm applying that in terms of, is it needed just in the sense of, okay, I'm not, you know, well, am what I, I mean in is, when some people, is my girlfriend not, in danger? Right. And, and you that's know? actually a private way. The one thing I find weird is when people go, well, I didn't fight cause I know I could. I'm all, what does that mean? Like, mm. I really honestly don't know what that means. Like mm. when someone sits and goes, well, I could, you know, you, you're not going to do it cause you know, you could, I'm all the fuck does that mean i don't understand that thought Mm -hmm. process like just because wait a minute so because if you thought you couldn't you're going to like Mm -hmm. what does that have to do with the big equation either you need to be violent or you don't you have to assess okay is safety an issue or do i need to address this now because of future issues or you know is this more of a uh hierarchical issue where you know uh, maybe not my imminent physical uh health is in danger but if i don't bash this good dude uh you know now everybody else is gonna fucking see me as the weak link here yeah, and then right, i'm gonna right. be at the bottom of the fucking pecking order so i need to fucking you know rearrange this guy's nose you know like you know the, there's other factors that have to go in there i never understood the factor that you know when you hear other you know well now that you know you can mm-hmm. you don't i'm like uh, that'd be like me going on a date with a girl going now i know i could here's a kiss on the forehead i'm going home tonight like the fuck does that have to mean with anything you know what i mean like <laughs> so okay so do it <laughs> yeah you I either just, enjoy it or you don't you no, know i don't know for, for me looking back now the only thing that was somewhat regrettable was that this guy didn't realize the bad position he put himself in so clearly this is someone who has not yet learned this lesson because it would only take one time and then that guy is going to think about this differently the mm-hmm. next time he tries something like that, you know, of getting your, your ass kicked or choked out or whatever it's going to be. But you know, that this is some, this is like a, an untamed, you know, wild horse who hasn't had the bad experience yet. Well, so and it's the reason like, why it hasn't yeah. happened yet so far, if you think about it in unarmed consequences now in dual fighting right now, MMA and jujitsu has really skyrocketed 20 years ago. You know, guys would only box. Now you yeah. you turn on YouTube videos, you see that skinny little nerdy kid throwing arm bars and, and knees and kicking kids in the head and, and knowing how to actually fight in an unarmed one-on-one situation. But here's the thing. Assholes still don't usually run into those guys typically as much because most scumbags and assholes 
tend to come from a, a an economical pool that's a little bit lower on the ladder. Mm. And jujitsu training is expensive. Mm-hmm. So you typically find that it's actually more affluent individuals right now that are actually you go to the gas stations, they go, oh, you see that fucking poor ghetto guy there? I'm like, yeah, he don't know how to fight for shit. He can't fight to save his life. He has nothing to lose. He's crazy. He'll probably mm-hmm. swing on you. But he actually doesn't fucking know how to fight. Yeah. You see that nerdy fucking rich guy who's the physician over there? Yeah. He's actually a purple belt in jiu-jitsu on his half time when he's not doing fucking you know, surgery. Yeah. Grab him and you might fucking wake up in the fucking street. You know what I mean? Like he's going to choke you unconscious. But he's not going to because he's, you know, yeah. you know, his mentality is not there. So I still think those assholes luck out that someone like such as yourself grew up in a way where you don't, you don't have that. You're, you're not a dick. You know what I mean? You're not just looking to, you know, you don't have other issues in your life you're miserable about. So now you're going to like, well, I'm going to fucking stump on this fucking dude's head. And even though I'm a fuck up in a high school dropout, this is going to make me feel good about myself. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. those assholes just don't train. You know, like, like I said, and it's a lot of times it comes down to money. You go train at Drysdale's, you know, you're paying 120 fucking bucks a month for the, the most baseline package. Yeah. You know? And and you're disciplined enough that if you're paying it more than once, you're going back month right, after month right. after month. This guy did not have a lot of discipline. Yeah, and typically in you have to life. have a bank account. I made you that assessment. Yeah. No, seriously. I mean, no, totally, most yeah. MMA schools yeah. go to a jiu-jitsu gym and tell them you don't have yeah. a bank account. Yeah. Well, I'm going to just pay cash every month. They're like, what? No, you, yeah. here, sign this paper. We're going to you know, deduct it, debit it out of your account once a month. You know, uh, yeah. No, I don't have a bank account. You don't have a bank account. You can't train it. You know what I mean? Like yeah. Certain things, So that because of it's, it's weird. It's like an economical thing. Like You can sit there and go, so this group of people have this afforded to them. So like, now it's weird. It's the first time, I think, in the world where – the more wealthy people are actually the more dangerous in a street fight. Yeah. That's, you know, yeah typically, that, that's if you go back, it's always yeah. the most, you know, uh, you know, gritty, you know, if you think about like even boxing, you, you always pulled from the lowest socioeconomic yeah. group. You know what I mean? Like, okay, who's the poorest of the poor? These guys. Well, they're going to fucking beat the shit out of each other. Whereas now it's like, okay, now you watch UFC, it's like, okay, or Bellator, ACB, it's like, who's this guy? Well, that guy has a four-year degree from Oregon, and you know, (laughs) he's actually a really good guy, has a good job, and he knows how to kick your ass. Well, let's do this. Let's call Aaron Pico, and then we'll come back to that, but uh, I know Aaron is waiting on us here, so doing this gorilla style on my my phone here, calling CJ in uh, Bellator PR department to get Aaron on the phone. You're hearing it all happen here live. Where's the fight? Fight's in San Jose. That's where they are. I think maybe their cell reception isn't awesome up there. CJ said something to me about it, so we might end up going to voicemail here. Hi, you've reached CJ Tuttle with Bellator. All right. I'll text him. So anyway, you were... uh, you were saying, Frank, or uh, I kind of cut off your point because I thought we were getting uh, Aaron on the phone right just then. Well, no, just interesting how things change. You know, typically yeah. your bruisers, guys who physically had to duel each other, was thought of as a, a poor man's way of solving problems. Rich people didn't have to fight because they had other ways of solving it. But now because martial arts and what the Gracies did with jiu-jitsu and MMA – there's such a technique now that's evolved and all the bullshit of, you know, you know, back in the day, rich kids took martial arts classes, but they'd take fucking these, you know, and I don't want to throw a name out there and offend anybody, but you had these McDojos mm. 
that you know little johnny thought he knew how to fight because he could bow and then he'd do like some kind of you know uh, chop a board yeah you know i could break a board i'm like mm-hmm. oh god you're gonna get your ass kicked ron you know what i mean like <laughs> Whereas now, little Johnny's a jiu-jitsu gym, and it's like, you better not grab little Johnny. He might not give you back his arm. Like, I mean, to the point where the techniques that these children are learning, like, I usually don't even teach a child until they're eight years old how to choke properly. Like, my kids, mm. when they first started training in the other gyms, you know, at Drysdale's and stuff, I remember Bella knew how to do throws and knew how to control. And Mrs. Mir got mad at me because she's throwing and stomping this other little girl around. But then the little girl starts choking her, and Bella has no clue what's going on. And then Bella, when she got in positions, you know, Jennifer's like, she should choke her. I'm like, she doesn't know that. Well, why didn't you teach her how to choke? And I'm looking at her. I'm like, okay, Mrs. Mir, because you seen the other day when they were fighting over, you know, who got their spot on the bed or whatever, and it, it, it turned into a wrestling match, and she threw Cage down and pinned him because she knows how to do that. Now let's add that she knows how to do a rear naked choke. Mm-hmm. They're kids. You know what I mean? Like, I don't want to take the chance that my six-year-old understands the concept of yeah. he's out, but let the choke go. You know what I mean? Right, like Because right. these moves are seriously can be lethal. You know what I mean? And so they're so effective. And, and that's my oh. – Oh, okay. I think we got him. Stand by. Hey, CJ. Mr. Hunter? Hey, buddy. You're actually uh, here with me and Frank. You're, we just patched you right through the board. So you're, you're actually making a cameo on the podcast. Oh, I am honored. Let C- me get C- Mr. Aaron Pico, guys. Very good. That's uh, C.J. Tuttle from uh, Bellator's PR department. All right, thank you. Getting uh, Aaron on the phone here. Aaron's got his fight coming up uh, this Saturday night against Lee Morrison on the undercard of uh, King Mo and Ryan Bader. We've also got um, Paul Daly. Returning, taking on uh, John Fitch, who's making his promotional debut over there in Bellator. So we're standing by now for Aaron, who is two and one in Bellator after uh, losing his debut. He's on a two-fight winning streak. Frank, probably one of the most highly recruited teenage prospects. I mean, really in MMA history, it's unprecedented. No, he's I don't number remember one. Anything like that uh, happening. I, I, yeah, I mean, Mir, Mister Hunter, you're now on with Mister Aaron Pico. Okay, great. Hey, Aaron, how you doing, man? I'm doing good. How are you guys doing? Hey, real good. Uh, glad to have you on, and uh, looking forward to your fight this weekend. You know, Frank and I uh, carpool together here to the studio, and where we live is about uh, 20 minutes from the studio. And I think Frank, if I'm not mistaken, it took about the entire 20 minutes to read all of Aaron's uh, uh, decorations and uh, grappling credentials on the way Just over. Just on didn't the it? wrestling aspect, That's not right. even counting yeah. all the other stuff. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, very impressive. Very impressive. Uh, thanks. Absolutely, thanks. man. Uh, so this is going to be your uh, fourth fight in Bellator, and you know the first thing that jumped out to us, uh, Aaron, is that your opponent Lee Morrison has a lot of experience. This is a guy who's got 27 fights, a 19-8 and eight record. So uh, just on paper and, and admittedly without knowing a lot about Morrison, uh, I would think that, that just an experience level alone, uh, this is pretty stiff competition for you. Yeah, absolutely. He's no, uh, he's no walk in the park, that's for sure. He's, uh, he's been in the game a long time. He's got a lot of fights and experience, but... I'm ready for the challenge. I'm definitely, uh, I've put in a lot of work over the years. I've started 
wrestling when I was four years old. Obviously, I went into boxing, did a lot of stuff overseas and stuff. But yeah, it definitely is a big challenge. But uh, we were prepared for it. I mean, coming into the MMA world, I was just I want to be world champion really bad. And I would say fighting guys one and two, you know, guys with losing records is just for me personally. I I just wouldn't really feel good winning. You know, I've got to I hold myself to a really high standard, and I just felt that. I'm capable. I put on a lot of work with my team, and why not take on the challenge? That's just uh, that's the reason why you fight is to take those risks and challenge, and uh, and the reward is re- really, really, really sweet. So, for me personally, I feel really good taking on the challenge, and when I win, it, it feels even better. Aaron, hey, I was looking through everything, all the write-ups on you, and I was trying to find. Now you are postponing going to college. Am I correct? Yeah, I decided not to now, wrestle in college. Now, obviously, now, 10 years ago, for somebody of your wrestling credentials, not to go to college and go become an NCAA champion would be unheard of. But now, at the same yeah. time, the about financial success that you can reach fighting and turning pro and foregoing a college education – at this point for the scholarships, especially because, you know, Title IX, you know, a wrestling scholarship is not really all it's cracked out to be to begin with. You could go ahead and pay for it at a later time with the money you're going to make and then some. Do you think that that's something we're going to start seeing more in the future, guys, with your wrestling pedigree, world champion level, saying, hey, you know what, instead of me going to college and suffering on a three-quarter scholarship, let me go ahead and go pro already in MMA and then I can always go back and revisit that at another time. Absolutely, I hope so. I mean, like you said, you said it best. I mean, college wrestling scholarship is just, you know, it's, it's not what it's cracked up to be. Obviously, for me, I could have gone anywhere in the college, anywhere in, in in the country to wrestle in college, but yeah, absolutely for free. But 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 for me, from an early age, I knew that I wanted to to be a fighter, and I and I just said, well, I mean, I had an opportunity to travel the world and wrestle all over at the highest level not just in america i'm talking in the world mm-hmm. so one that's a challenge in itself and two why would i go for four five years and beat up myself in college college wrestling is a very very tough uh well, tough grind why would i do that and then decide to, to fight you're almost like you that know? professional football player who it's like okay yeah. are you going to play for four years in college for free risk an injury blow out your knee and then all of a sudden let's say now you know the pro contracts are not going to be there mm-hmm. or go ahead and turn yeah. pro now so but it's, it's funny as wrestling that never would have happened without the world of mma and so now you have these opportunities that you know i think we're going to see a lot more guys go like aaron mm-hmm. which i think is actually going to probably hurt college wrestling to a certain point mm-hmm. yeah but you know what though it's uh it's the best thing because you know what a lot of these guys these guys are beaten down in college and they're beaten down, they're beaten down. And then sometimes I, how, how are you going to go to college? I mean, very, very few do this. And there's, they are exceptions that you can go to college and major in something very, very, you know, if you want to be a doctor, you want to be a lawyer, it's kind of impossible to go through a whole college season and focus on your study, cut weight, do your tests and wrestle college season. That's very, very difficult. So yeah. a lot of these guys, you know, they wrestle and they don't really get a big time major, but, and then they wrestle after, but like, what if you want to, what if you don't want to wrestle after college? You know, like it's just, I mean, you want to be able to, I think your my philosophy is like, if you're going to go to college, you shouldn't, you know, for wrestling, you should just focus on what you want to do. If you want to be a doctor, businessman and put that whole full-time effort into it. So when you graduate, you know, you're prepared, you didn't, you know, you're ready to take, you know, 
No, it makes sense. Yeah. You have something you, take you can on your sit profession. back on. Yeah. Not, yeah, exactly. Not beat yourself up in college and then it's like, okay, well, then now I'm going to fight. Because now the way the MMA is evolving, you better be – there's kids. There's kids right now that I'm going to have to be fighting that are training right now for me. You know, the, yeah. the sport is evolving. You can't just become a college wrestler and say, oh, I'm going to fight. It doesn't work that way now. And I knew that I had that in my head saying, man, I just can't do this four or five years and then expect to – go in mma at the way that it's evolving man i have to i better start now you know so it all worked out great but i hope there's a lot of i hope there's people that that can do it and i'm just very fortunate that i was allowed the opportunity to be able to travel the world i had a lot of great people behind me that that helped me out and that were with me to to guide me in this because it was no easy task i mean i was very very nervous you know saying no i'm not wrestling in college you know yeah. my, first of all i had my my parents blessing and that was they were getting criticized just as much as i was how could you let your kid do that you know he's got a good opportunity so we stayed the course we stuck we stuck together as a family we had that we surrounded ourselves with those people that that had our best interests and we just navigated through it. And right well, now it's working out great. So I'm very, very happy. If it means anything, I 100% agree with your decision. If I was a mentor to you and you asked me, like, hey, forego college and fight, sign a contract with Bellator, it, to me it'd be a no-brainer. I'd be like, well, yeah, do that absolutely because financially you can always go back and pay for college on your own. Sure. But if you get hurt absolutely. wrestling yeah. in college, your pro career might not ever happen. And now, yeah, you had a, a college degree, but now you know you might still have some debt. You know, yeah. To me, it just it, just like that football player is like, hey, are you going to go and play that fourth year, fifth year, you know, or are you going to go turn pro? I'm like, dude, if you could turn pro, turn pro as soon as you can and sign up, get that paycheck. Well, Aaron, tell us, you know, you, and you you just alluded to it, and this was actually one of the questions I had for you, talking about like that support structure that you had behind the scenes. I wonder if you could tell us a little more about that because, like you said, you're traveling the world. You're building up all these credentials, but even as I watch uh, Frank, for example, whose whose daughter is 14, and uh, she would like to be a professional fighter. You know, she's obviously going to benefit from tra Frank training her, but she but she's probably going to benefit equally from Frank's uh, business experience. You know, in the fight game and knowing pitfalls to watch out for and things like that. So even though so you had all that support from your parents and that sort of thing, was there anybody that that was particularly helpful in navigating you through? the business side of it if that makes sense should we do this deal with bellator you know what what are we going to look for in a contract because it seems like you know even as supportive as everybody could be if for some reason you know you just didn't get lucky enough to have like a family member who'd already gone through that exact path maybe they wouldn't know what to look for was there somebody like that yeah absolutely i had i have very very great management um mm -hmm. Wayne zinkin and bob cook have, have really helped me in my career i met them when i was 17 years old i remember being with them and and it just uh they've really helped me out in my career i mean they obviously have a lot of uh great guys that they've they've managed and they've gone on to do very very good things so sitting down with them and and, and just being surrounded by them and being around all the people it was uh you know it was bob and duane that that have really helped me out in my career getting me started and and navigating my my uh you know the business side of it, and and my and my career and fighting. So yeah, very very thankful for the the Zinkin family and Bob Cook. I mean they've they've really helped me out because this is all new to my parents. My parents know nothing about the MMA world or the business side of it. So yeah, it takes some learning to do. So thankfully we have them, and you know they're always we can call them whenever we want. They're calling us, and 
and just uh, checking in and making sure everything is okay. So for sure, they've uh, they've been a very, very big help for us. What would you tell Bellator fans, Aaron, in terms of aspects of your skill set that they haven't really gotten to see yet this this early on in your your uh, professional career? I mean, we we've we've seen some some impressive knockouts. I mean, would you say maybe the 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 grinding aspect of your wrestling pedigree? Maybe there's there's a lot more to be seen where that's concerned. You know, what would you what would you kind of tell Bellator fans that they're in store for if they uh, continue to follow your progress that maybe they haven't gotten to see? so much if they've only seen you in bellator yeah for me I'm, obviously i'm a very very high high level wrestler mm-hmm. but i like to be on my feet i like to go you know go for the knockout but i'm very smart as well you know if if i need to take the guy down and, and fight on the ground i'm very very well prepared for that so for me right now my whole mindset is just becoming the, the best overall fighter that means on my feet on the ground um everywhere my kicks i'm just for me personally i'm very very open-minded like i said i surround myself with very very good people and i'm just every day i'm asking you know i'm in the car with my brother i'm with my brother 24 7 i'm with i'm with my brother all the time we're together every practice every all the time i'm with him saying hey listen how do we become a better fighter today and he's watching i'm with my coach antonio mckee you know mm-hmm. what do we need to work on with freddie roach what do we need to work on like I said, I'm very, very young in my career, and there's so much to learn. And I've only been a professional 11 months. So for all those people, I'm just evolving as a fighter. I can stand with you. I can go to the ground. I can kick. I can do it all. So it's going to take some time, but that's the beauty of the sport. And that's why we wake up every day is to, is to get better at what we do. So it's well, fun. I'm enjoying my journey very much. You really are one of the most exciting uh, aspects of, of Bellator right now on the on the young side of it. Obviously, there's a lot of legendary names that have signed up with the uh, organization. I can... I think of one that's sitting across the table from me right now, Aaron. But yeah. uh, but uh, you know that that it's all about building for the future, and you're obviously a, a cornerstone of that for the Bellator promotion. My last question for you, and we appreciate you making time for us tonight because I know you got weigh-ins tomorrow and all that kind of stuff. But my question is pertaining to the weigh-ins: Who's your backpack? man who is carrying the backpack tomorrow at weigh-ins because uh i'll have you know aaron that uh on this podcast uh frank and i talk about the importance of having a backpack specialist somebody who's very well organized to carry the backpack onto the stage at weigh-ins and i am frank's backpack specialist and while we would have hoped for a different outcome in the fedor fight i will tell you this and i don't think you disagree with this frank we won that weigh-in we won the way in. So so I just want to make sure, you know, I know everybody's looking out for you in all these different avenues, but sometimes these little details can get overlooked. Do you have a designated go-to backpack man? Oh, 100%. It's, it's crucial. It's yes. crucial. It's my brother. I'm with my brother. Oh, good. Like I said, I'm with my, bro- with my brother every single day, every minute of the day when we're training and doing all kinds of stuff. So my brother knows me, and as, as, as Frank knows, as, as time goes on, during weigh-ins and leading up to it, you know, you have to have that person that you that you that knows everything about you, that knows what not to do, what to do. So that for me, I'm very thankful that I have my brother along the way, and we're doing great. We're doing great together. But that's, that's funny awesome. that you said that because that is very, very important, that's especially right. in fighting. You have to have somebody there, you know, and that knows everything. You know, Aaron, we're, about you, you know? no, we, we backpack uh, specialists, we're unsung heroes, and we're okay with that role. You know, we're not looking for the spotlight. Not fumbling with the Pedialyte? No, we're there, <laughs> we're there to be, uh, so what's your brother's name? 
My brother's name is Patrick. Okay, we'll give Patrick a shout-out here from one backpack specialist to another. And you tell him when you get off the phone that you talk to uh, another backpack specialist and and he acknowledged him because your fight is on saturday night sure everybody knows that but this guy right here knows that patrick's fight is tomorrow at that weigh-in and i know he's prepared for you yeah no for sure i i think i think it's it's kind of worse for, for the backpack guy because they they're the ones they're, they're more nervous than i am you know he's like <laughs> constantly watching everything figuring out everything watching video studying it's like I like that. It's the worse fight, for the, the backpack with guy. Him 24/7. <laughs> well, at least we could do something to physically alter the outcome of the fight. That's right. That's it's hard right. Hard to be on the exactly. outside. Man. Right. It's hard well, to be on the outside. You are buttoned up, man. You you are squared away. Then if uh, if you got that part handled. All right, listen, Aaron. Seriously, thanks for all the time uh, tonight, and it's been fun having you. Maybe uh, uh, sometime after the fight, we we get you back on, talk about what's next, and hopefully talk about the the victory from Saturday night. I appreciate it. Thank you, Frank and Richard. It's been a pleasure. Anytime. I look forward to being uh, on after. Yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll get you on again, man. And uh, good luck in there Saturday. Okay, buddy? Thank you. Thank you, Aaron. Okay. There goes Aaron Pico. Nice guy. Yeah. Yeah, very nice guy. I tell you, you know, I, I He's read... the poster boy, really, for the future of the yeah. sport. We talk about guys that are coming into this so well-rounded and already knowing, having mm-hmm. high pedigree in so many different areas. That's it. You know what I mean? Like... That's this is you know what I mean like we've had guys that have picked it up you know like 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 when he was saying that like I was like oh yeah this kind of got Randy Couture mm-hmm. Randy Couture they always call him oh, the natural right it has nothing to do with drugs or not drugs they call Randy the natural he picked up that nickname because he basically didn't start learning about MMA or even deciding to do anything until two weeks before the first time he ever fought. So here he goes to fight in the UFC. Two weeks before that, he had no aspirations of fighting. So it took two weeks of training. Going from pure Greco-Roman wrestler to okay, how do I throw a punch? You know, and okay, grab a choke, and did so well. Aaron's right; those days are gone. Where a guy mm-hmm. can sit there and go, "Well, just upon the merits of my black belt in jiu-jitsu or my all-American wrestling, mm-hmm. uh, you know, pedigree, I could just jump into the cage and I'm going to fare very well." It's like, no, those you know, it's done, man. You you better actually take this sport in itself very seriously. Yeah, and it's it's also I think to one of the nods to mainstream sports. You know, when you look at mainstream sports, a lot of times the the real, uh, you know, the real superstars, the real elite of the elite athletes, a lot of times are so well-rounded. And that, I mean, right down to their personality, right down to their ability to give interviews, right down to their, you know, you, you look at what does this guy not have or this girl not have? Well, nothing. They've got it all. And, you know, even just the way that guy talks, I mean, it's at his age, I mean, that's that's pretty incredible, you know, that he has. Because you would think about everything that he's gone through up to this point, sacrifices that he's made, like, throughout his teens and things like that, you still have to maintain a balance of natural maturity mm-hmm. and, and not ending up sort of like a, like a man-child, you know? Well, and also, too, he made a decision that, that that's what actually sparked my interest. Mm. I wanted to make sure, you know, that was true that, you know, but by not going the conventional route mm-hmm. and failing, right? Mm-hmm. People laugh at you more. They're like, oh, so you're an idiot. You should have went to college, right? Because you, mm. anytime humans, we do things unconventionally. Yes. And we take things upon our own merit to like think outside the box and then we fail. People are, are really heap on even extra insult to it, right? Yeah. Whereas if you do things conventionally, well, I went to college and I blew my knee out and I didn't turn pro. 
well, shit happens. You know what I mean? Like, it's yeah. not your fault. Life itself. You were doing everything you should have done where it's like, I first saw that when it came to uh, uh, soccer, right? It showed that statistically, if you kick the ball right down the middle on a, uh, uh, the you know, when you, I forget, what, the what's penalty it? kick? Penalty kicks, right? Where like they talk about whether you kick it left, kick it right, that basically that the goalkeeper has to kind of make a move before you actually kick the ball because okay. of how fast the ball's coming at him, mm-hmm. that he really doesn't get to see the ball. Oh, it's going toward my right. Now let me react and jump to my right. They actually kind of guess, mm. you know? And it was showing that statistically, if you kicked it straight at the guy, you would actually have the highest percentage of actually scoring because he's either jumping left or right. He's probably not sitting in the middle. Now, the reason why – now, the soccer guys all know this too. They have people in the back room going, well, statistically, if you just kicked it down the middle, you know, we'd increase our chances from 53% to 60% or whatever the, you know, mm-hmm. the numbers might actually be. But they're afraid to do that because it looks stupid when you fail. Whereas if I kick it right or kick it left and the goalkeeper defends it, it's like, ah, he made a good move. You, you made a good kick. He stopped it. But if you kick it down the middle, it's either hero or zero. You either look awesome because the goalkeeper jumped out of the way because he thought you were going left or yeah. right and you went down the middle, or you look like a retard because you just kicked it right to the guy, right? Yeah. So the soccer players are so afraid of the humiliation of looking stupid that they would rather go ahead and kick it left and right and take a less of a chance of making a goal than to go with the higher probability. And that's how people are in life. In life, to sit there like, yeah. you know, to, for, for Aaron to sit there and go, I'm going to forego college and sign a contract with Bellator and I'm going to put my eggs in this basket, that I'm going to make enough money as a professional fighter that, hey, I'll be better off in the end. You're still paying off student loans. I'm going to own three fucking houses. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like, there's actually a very logical approach to that that makes sense. It's not really as risky as people probably would think on the surface. But if he were to fail at it, they said to go, wow, you're probably one of the highest recruited wrestlers coming out of high school. You easily could have went to any college you wanted to go to. You could have had a college degree. You foregone all that to fight. You're a fucking idiot if it didn't work out. Mm-hmm. So the fact that he went that route shows a lot of mental fortitude. And it shows why he's able to probably deal with some of the shit he's able to deal with, all the hype and all the pressure being put on him. Because if he fails this route, he's that guy that kicked it down the middle. Yeah, on paper, I can show you why statistically his route right now is actually the smarter route. But that, that, that uh, you know, uh, water cooler talk on Monday, ah, he should have went to college. Yeah, ah, he should have took that scholarship, you know? You know? That, that soccer analogy is really apropos, and that's something I, I didn't know. But when you think about it, I think there's a lot of truth to that because the, you know, if I kick it straight down the middle – and it's blocked, what I don't get is the goalie diving one direction or the other. So if he dives and blocks it, at least I get the dive out right. of it. He so, gave an effort and stopped Yes, yeah, so what I get out of that is a lot of residual talk of, oh, that almost got by him. If he wouldn't have made that awesome save, just like if I go the four-year collegiate route and I do blow my knee out or whatever, I can, for the rest of my life, tell the old story of, oh, man, I could have been. I would have been. You know, this one little thing happened, and if that little thing hadn't happened, everything would have been different. And not to say that... Yeah, it's not on you. It's on fate, basically. It's on others. Right, as opposed to just saying, no, you know what I did? I saw the most 
direct logical route and I took it. And then maybe it still didn't work out, but it was clearly the best path to take. And so that's why I decided to do it. It didn't come with a lot of fanfare. There was no freak injury. You know, I mean, it, maybe it didn't have all the things that the typical uh, you know, could have been story carries. It doesn't have as much dramatic flair to it. But again, kind of like we started the show talking about, that's sometimes as real as it gets. It yeah. you, you hit the ground, and it's such a a, a, a technical uh, chess match that there may not be a lot of drama involved in it if you don't know what you're looking at. Yeah, yeah true, true. You know what? I should have given a shout-out. Uh, while we were talking to Aaron about backpack uh, specialists and the importance thereof, to uh, Datsusara, uh, uh, who outfitted me with the backpack for uh, the weigh-ins, Datsusara, because I only carry the best. Uh, DSgear.com is the website. I'm actually wearing their shirt uh, today. But I'm telling you, this gear, it's it's hemp gear, and uh, they uh, not only, I mean, I was super impressed with the backpack. That uh, that's that right there is the exact model that uh, I Dude. carried. And the shorts that, you know, because they gave us some shorts, yeah. too. I was grabbing them. I don't know why cotton is completely just a thing of the past. Uh, oh, I know. Over hemp. Yeah. Like the hemp material fiber. Yeah. And then I went and started Googling it and looking up shit going, tension strength. Yeah. Uh, how quick we can grow it. I'm like, how the hell is this all of a sudden so an issue? So what happened with – this is an interesting historical uh, story – because what happened with the hemp industry and the cotton industry is that in the earlier part of the 20th century, the cotton industry got a big lobby going. And the co- it was the cotton industry and the, the, the pharmaceutical industry that got together to push out uh, to make uh, marijuana illegal. I mean, you know, that's the right. whole story that's basically got us up to this you know, point where, came out yeah, where now finally things have turned around on that. But the, you know, rope was made out of hemp. The original American flags were made out of hemp. It was a much stronger material. And I tell you what, now that these guys... you think it's going to switch around now? I mean, in general, you think people are going to start, I mean, you know, especially now, I mean, we're legalizing, you know, weed in, in so many yeah. of the states where it's like, it doesn't have the same, uh, you know stigma that it's yeah. had over the years people realize that just because i smoke weed i'm not going to go out and start raping chicks you know right I mean? like, like the old what was that movie uh, uh madness. oh reefer, reefer madness. madness yeah 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 people <laughs> throwing themselves out windows yeah no Do you know I, they I actually they even could. invented a bullet i was reading something mm-hmm. we talked about because one of the rounds that i'm very fond of that i carry is a revolver and so a 357 but mm-hmm. i only really carry uh, 38 plus p rounds in it there's a whole explanation about the two inch barrel i can't utilize the full powder so it really only hits the same but i still like the idea that my weapons are 357 because i can always go back and forth mm-hmm. in, a, in, a, in a tight situation um but the 357 round was actually created because they felt like the 38 wasn't strong enough to kill these drug crazed maniacs that would be running at cops. Oh, and, yeah. So, well, we got to have a, a faster, more, you know, quick round. I'm like, elephant gun. Uh, I'm like, for potheads? Yeah. Like, <laughs> have you guys seen a pothead? Like, yeah. Yeah. No, it's, uh, you know, that, that, like you said, that material is very strong. And uh, not only the backpack, but I mean, the, the, the gi, they make a hemp gi. The grappling shorts were like, awesome shorts i'll grapple in those now all the time and even these shirts like the one i have on these are made out of hemp and i'm wearing these under my gi 
and they don't rip, they don't stretch, really? you know, the way that t-shirts typically do. Yeah, this oh, one's actually made out of hemp. So anyway, shout out to uh, Datsusara, and uh, they're making awesome gear. If you're a fan of uh, EBI, the Eddie Bravo Invitational Jiu-Jitsu Tournaments, you always see Datsusara as the uh, center mat sponsor, and uh, that's where you would know them from. But uh, yeah, yeah, check out dsgear.com and tell them, uh, tell them, tell them that you heard that uh, – uh, Richard from Phone Booth Fighting uh, carries their backpack because he's uh, he's the uh, the MMA world's preeminent backpack specialist. It won't be very long until the pool is crowded with competition, but I'm going to enjoy my Hoist Gracie moment right now. Yeah, you know, and really honestly, you really were necessary. You know, now with the, the two-step weigh-ins, having you right there, I think the guys are less nervous. They don't fuck it up as bad. Mm. But – Back in the day, or you know, not back in the day, fucking mm-hmm. two years ago, when we would do the the weigh-in that the fans saw, that was the real fucking weigh-in. Yeah, you know I mean? like it wasn't the mock weigh-in or whatever we call it now, you know. So when a guy went up on stage, his backpack specialist, you know, you got to take one guy with you, would go up on stage with you, and then the guy would get up on the scale and he's fucking dehydrated, he's dying, he's you know, he's been sitting in a sauna, sweat, you know, the guy's you know, warm over death. And he sit there, and then he looks over at his guy who's fumbling with his T-shirt and yes. flip-flops. Yes. And he's just like, give me the fucking bottle of water. You know what I mean? And the guy's like looking, and he's grabbing different shit out of the bag. And I've always sat there and looked. I'm like, dude, you need to be cutting weight too or something. Like, so how could we add some skin in the game where you like – because you would think there would be some sympathy. Like, my right. guy is dying. Like, you should be sitting there with fucking water bottle in hand like – yeah. Like just, just okay. I, I have my hand on the cap. It's already three quarters twisted off. You, you know, as soon as you step off the scale, boom, go. You know what I mean? Hey, well, first of all, point well taken. Second of all, that is, that type of unprofessional behavior is exactly what inspired me to start training as a backpack specialist, and that's the kind of thing that I'm going to be covering in my clinics uh, when I start doing these to to train the next generation. How to get the t-shirt properly yeah. put away and still acquire the. Uh, but you know that's very hydration. It's, it's very. It's it's very astute uh, observation that you said that because i'll have you know that at our weigh-ins none other than big john mccarthy pointed this very thing out he was watching as an analyst as he does and he noticed that not only did i come out on stage with the water bottle cap off ready to go but i had it in my left hand why because my power's in my right hand and the right hand was free to collect the shoes the uh the rash guard whatever was coming off so that's that's why it was it was seamless yeah it was it was almost like you weren't there, which that is the sign of a phenomenal. That's battle. right. So what you want to be like a good referee. Yeah, you don't want to know they're yeah. there. Yeah, yeah. Well, I appreciate the opportunity and uh, thanks for the uh, uh, acknowledgement. All right. Uh, the only thing more popular than you was the fucking shoes. Yeah, those shoes, man. James Horn hit that. Did you see the whole? Show? The yeah, what I saw. Do? They were. I saw every like story that Bellator or you or anyone posted. Yeah. There was a picture of the shoes pull a, see if you pull awesome. a shot of that up i know it's on frank's instagram but just see if you can find that so we can show it to everybody uh yeah james horn uh your uh one of your sparring partners and uh corner men did up these he loves the shoes he's one what of time these, do we got to uh, break out of here um pretty quick pretty quick you about well no about no, no no i was gonna yeah. call james because he was gonna swing by i tell him oh. the shoes real quick oh you know, he just lives down gotcha the um i have to go 20 minutes i have to we got to go in 20. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, if, oh, here they are right now. Yeah. Yeah. So he had these shoes done up where it's like Frank on one side, Fedor on the other. They had the Bellator logo on the uh, top of the toes. You guys uh, probably saw these. So uh, 
Yeah. Yeah. Those are very cool. Everybody, uh, th- those shoes got a lot of coverage at the weigh-in. So I think Frank's calling uh, James right now to see if the to. shoes can make a cameo appearance. There's not a catch them on the other yeah. side. Yeah. We'll have him bring them up next time if we can't get him. So um, I did want to uh, discuss this, though, before we wrap. And uh, that is that there is word that Chuck Liddell may be returning to mixed martial arts to fight. Uh, that Oscar De La Hoya, the Hall of Fame boxer turned promoter, turned boxing promoter for many years now with Golden Boy Promotions, is rumored to be getting into the MMA game. He wants to put it on an MMA card. And he's finalizing contracts with Chuck Liddell. And although nothing has been announced or made official, uh, all indications are that Chuck would have a trilogy fight with Tito Ortiz. Uh, if that were to happen... Frank, your your thoughts on uh, on that idea? I think Chuck's now been retired seven, eight years, something like yeah. that, and he's almost fifty years old. Well, you know, I think that if you want to compete, and if Chuck still has that fire in him to get out there, and uh, you know, opportunity to maybe make some money, uh, you know, why not? You know, obviously, you know, as a fan of Chuck's and and somebody that wants hopefully them to be healthy you know um as long as you know that's why we have state athletic commissions the the athletic commission will look at him you know he'll go through more rigorous testing because of his age uh and you know get mri and make sure everything's on the up and up but uh you know it's his body his health and uh you know we're not going to see anything dangerous occur because that's the athletic commission wouldn't allow Mm -hmm. that to ever ever happen we're not going to see a guy step out there that could get you know you know Mm -hmm. too injured but, uh, you know, so, you know, hey, uh, I hope that people, you know, that are into it, you know, and to me, I see the upside. If De La Hoya gets into MMA, it's just one more guy out there promoting fights, and it's just one other opportunity for fighters. And, you know, the more guys, more individual opportunities that are out there for fighters in the world of MMA, the, the higher the competition will get for promoters and the better it is for fighters. And, uh, and, and the more that uh, the paychecks go up. I mean, it's always good to have the competition in there for multiple promoters bidding on the same fighter. That's why, if anybody wonders why when you see these boxing payouts – you know, you go, well, gosh, I didn't, I thought boxing was on the decline. How come this guy made $10 million to fight that I've barely heard of? It is because there are competing promoters in boxing. Yep. Now, that can be to a fault. That's also sometimes how you don't get great matchups made mm-hmm. or it takes forever to get them no, made. Because, yeah, because you got to have two promoters. But I do agree that competition is key for, uh, for the, the paydays of the fighters you know it's something that i i wonder how much of this is motivated for de la hoya with what happened when um connor fought mayweather because if you remember i think the very next week was triple g and canelo alvarez which that is a legitimate blockbuster Mm -hmm. super fight boxing match and it was completely overshadowed by Conor McGregor and Floyd Mayweather. I mean, you, it's bad enough that Floyd Mayweather's involved because that's you know the biggest yeah. name in boxing. But then you bring the biggest name in MMA, and it it definitely did a number on the promotional ability of Triple G and Alvarez. So you wonder how much of this might be motivated in uh, De La Hoya wanting to try to exact some revenge or show that you know okay well you did that you crossed over into my world i can cross over into yours i don't know yeah maybe i mean and also i mean maybe not so much a vengeance but but a smart businessman going shit 
you know, there's money to be made here in, in yeah. the world of MMA. Yeah. And, and, and just diversifying his uh, his fight portfolio. Yeah. To sit there and go, okay, well, boxing makes money, but it's MMA obviously is very lucrative. Could you see a day? Okay, because let's think about this for a second. I think that right now what, what De La Hoya is kind of talking about doing is almost like what kind of like what Affliction did when they put on their couple of fight cards. Remember that? Yeah. I mean, they weren't in it for the long haul. They spent a lot of money. They brought in, I mean, big big names at the time. Yeah. I mean, Fedor fought for them. They brought in Arlovsky. They brought in Barnett. I mean, they had very recognizable names in that promotion. But they spent a lot of money. They lost a lot of money on those cards, and it was just a couple of fight cards, and then it was done. As opposed to, you know, slow and steady wins the race. You look at what Scott Coker's done in Bellator. I mean, he is, he is, He's building a a uh, you know he, he's building a high rise there. I mean he is he is floor by floor building a rock solid foundation as as he should if if you're going to have a promotion that's going to stick around for a long period of time. But could De La Hoya do this? Could he basically take the boxing model and say, you know what, I'm not I'm not the UFC, I'm not Bellator, I'm not. Uh, doing a network deal. I'm not going to put on a pay-per-view every month. I'm not going to do reality shows and all the different things that come with it. What I'm going to do is I'm going to show up every, you know, three times a year with a massive blockbuster MMA card. Now, what he'd have to do is he'd have to be able to sign free agents, and that's going to be a challenge because a lot of the top talent's going to be locked up with one promotion or another. But could maybe something like that work? I don't know. Yeah, as far as just you know, benefiting from the more of the work being done by other organizations. Yeah, you know, we'll see. I mean, I think De La Hoya is a smart business guy. You know, mm-hmm. you know, Golden Boys has done very well uh, as a, as a promoter. I think that you know, if you look at what he's done in the boxing world, he's he's right up there with you know Arum and uh, and uh, the King. You know, mm-hmm. uh, and so um, yeah. The, the, the only thing, though, about this situation that – and already I saw just, you know, one of the people tweeting to him is, you know, to, to Chuck, you know, please mm-hmm. don't do this. Mm-hmm. You, know, uh, you know, I don't understand that. If I see someone competing past their prime, what about it about me wants me not to have them compete anymore? You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. if it's one of those things where it's like, okay, like, well, I don't want to see that. Okay, well, don't watch. Mm-hmm. Don't look. You know what I mean? Like, I mean – uh, you, 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 do you know what I'm talking about? Like when someone sits there and go, I don't, I don't want to see so-and-so still fighting or competing or playing football or just, I don't want to see him go out there again. I'm like, why not? Who gives a shit? You know what I mean? Like, you know, if you're a fan of the person, watch them. If you're a fan of the person, you don't want to see them go out there because it's, oh, I don't want to see them pass their prime. It's like, all right, we'll, we'll turn it off. You, you don't have to watch, mm-hmm. you know? Like, I mean, I guess I could see it more in team sports when someone can hold a, a team hostage where you sit there and go, okay, you know, like uh, some of the talk with Peyton Manning towards their last Super Bowl where he might not have been really the best quarterback, mm-hmm. you know, at the time they won the Super Bowl, but because of, you know, who he was, that, you know, that maybe at that time, it's like, okay, he should retire now. Maybe I can see that argument going, well, you know, you're kind of holding us hostage and mm-hmm. you won't hang up the reins and so the new young guy could come in and our team could be more successful. But as far as in, in the individual sports, if you don't want to see a guy out there competing, don't watch. Yeah, and you know it solves its problem in itself because if no one watches, no one pays these guys to compete. They don't compete. (laughs) Yeah, I guess the key is to not let them in the fight 
if they cannot medically qualify to be in the fight. And that's why the testing is in ah. place, you know. And I guess it also depends on too who you're matching them up against. I mean, is it is it a legends fight? Is it legend against legend? Is it veteran against veteran? Is it is it competitive, or is he taking on you know the number three ranked twenty seven year old lightweight in the world or something like that, a light heavyweight in the world? You know that might be a bad idea. But um, yeah, it's I. I think I, mean, I think a lot of people are probably factoring into how Chuck went out because he did have some rough knockouts for the end of his career. Now, I don't know medically what taking a seven eight year old uh, eight year layoff does. Like on one one on one way, you would be thinking, okay, somebody's almost fifty years old. But is the other way to look at it that yeah, but they have not taken a blow to the head in eight years. You know what I'm saying? So they've had a long rested layoff. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, yeah. But, you know, the guy is a martial artist for almost his whole entire life. Yeah. Going out there competing is fun. And and if someone's willing to pay him and he's able to get people to watch, there's people going to want to watch. Why not? You know, like, well, you know, just, you know, uh, I, I, let, I say go out there and take advantage of your opportunity given to you. And let it, let it be noted, though, that this was one of the, the – the, this whole situation – was one of the casualties of the UFC getting bought out. Because when they got bought out, the the ambassador job, the vice president job that Chuck had, same thing that Matt Hughes had, went away. And I know that new ownership must have looked at that and said, wait a second, why, why are we paying this person who doesn't fight anymore and hasn't fought in a number of years? But to me, if you were really interested in in preserving not only Chuck Liddell's legacy but his legacy as it pertains to the UFC like there are very there there are a few guys that if I own the UFC I would want to be tied to the UFC until they could physically no longer fight and I don't mean when you're on the cusp of 50 I mean when you're 60 you know if I hold on to you that long then no athletic commission in the country is going to sanction you. And I, I'd put you in that category. If I owned the UFC, I, w I would have wanted to have done the same thing just so that all that name value, because now who benefits? You know, now you're, you're with a new promotion. They're benefiting from your name. Chuck, you know, Oscar De La Hoya is going to benefit from Chuck Liddell's name. Oscar shouldn't have the opportunity to do it. And I know that's beyond... You know, it's not like Dana White's call or something like that because new ownership comes in. But it just goes to show you, I think they had the right idea, the mm -hmm. old ownership. Because what they said was, look, this guy is so, his name is so intrinsically valuable to the organization. Let's don't ever have brand confusion. Let's have Chuck Liddell be branded with the UFC until he's about able to apply for Social Security. And we'll pay him. And you know what it's like? It's like a retirement plan. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, and I, I agree with you, and I and on two sides of it. Mm -hmm. One, because that guy has built up your brand, mm -hmm. and there are people that are UFC fans that are there because of Chuck Liddell introduced him to the sport. Mm -hmm. You know, they first were fans of Chuck, and then 
you know, and then as Chuck moved on, they moved on to other fighters. Uh, so, I mean, the UFC was built upon the backs of guys like a Chuck Liddell. Yeah. You know, and then you have the other side of it, too, where you still do it. Even if you don't want to be the good guy, it goes, well, we kind of owe it to the guy. You know what I mean? Like, we've made so much money off of him over the years, and our brand is what it is. He's one of the forefathers of our, our organization. Um, you have it to where, well, I don't want someone else to benefit it. Screw being a good guy. I just don't want anybody else to make money off this guy and, and hurt us. So I don't want the, uh, the, the, the other team to take advantage of him, which both of them, you know, are, you know, for different reasons, but for accomplishing the same goal, keep the guy under contract. They should never have gotten rid of the ambassador job. Yeah. And I just, that seems like the kind of thing that's just impossible for ownership to understand if they haven't grown with the sport. You know, that's something you did not need to explain to the Fertitta brothers, you know, because they were there since since that point. But, yeah, that's that's I thought as soon as we saw new ownership come in, even before those cuts were made, I thought, boy, I'd love to see the person who the accountant who explains to them some of the stuff that's turning up in the paperwork. You know, wait, we're paying who for what? When are they fighting again? What do you mean they don't fight that? When was their last fight? Six years ago, what are we doing? Yeah. All right. Well, and we'll see what happens. That for fighters that were not as recognizable as, you know, the Chuck Liddells mm-hmm. and the Matt Hughes's, there was a couple of guys that, you know, that you know, that were on that roster, not to throw those guys out there that they're making money, you know, who knows? Yeah. <laughs> they got child support or divorced wives coming after them. But, you know, there's guys out there that I knew were still collecting paychecks month to month. It had been years since they fought. That if I name their name, you might know them, mm-hmm. but the average fan would be like, "Who?" Mm-hmm. I'm like, "Yeah, you know, they fought hard. The Vertitas liked them, and you know, and acknowledged that they had ten hard fights and were always game. And you know, I took care of the guy." Yeah, yeah, that was a that was a real nice side of that that oftentimes probably doesn't get talked about as much as uh, as it should, but it's definitely worth acknowledging at this point, especially if uh, Chuck Liddell's returning to action because uh, you know that that op that that uh, ambassador's opportunity was no longer uh, open to him. I'll tell you another thing I like about Chuck. Chuck is always, he is, uh, uh, Chuck was, anytime I ever interviewed Chuck, he was always like um, very flexible in terms of, he was a guy you could just call up. Like I interviewed him one time on the phone in his dressing room in between rehearsals at Dancing with the Stars. Like he was just a guy you could just call and be like, Oh yeah, yeah. I got five minutes. Yeah, let's just do that, right? You didn't go. You didn't have to go through a publicist with Chuck, and there wasn't a whole lot of, you know, now's not a good time for me or whatever. He's a good dude. You know, want to hear another crazy story about Chuck? Sure. And this is public, so I'm not telling you anything. Um, good, because I have a few that aren't. I'll bet. Yeah. We'll talk on the car so, ride home. <laughs> Chuck spent a lot of time in Vegas. Yeah. <laughs> so Chuck was hired. Do you remember the movie Three Hundred? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so, of course. so Chuck was, Leonidas, yeah. Know, draw Butler in the man. This right. is Sparta. Yeah. yeah. So when that movie came out, Chuck was hired to go around and do publicity for it. I mean, it didn't have anything to do with the UFC, but I guess the people who put the movie out thought that, that. Okay, MMA yeah. fans would like it. So they were they actually put Chuck out on the circuit to go around and do promotion for the movie. So it was screening in Dallas where I was doing radio at the time, and. uh Chuck comes in studio with us, and I was doing a, a morning show. So it's very early. I mean, it's like, I think he came in there at like 7 a.m. or something like that. 
and he had this little old lady publicist. Now, this is not the this is not like UFC PR department. This is some little old lady who you know was probably walking Betty White around the week before or something, promoting the last season of the Golden Girls or something. And now she's with Chuck Liddell out doing his PR run. So she comes in with him. I met Chuck before, and you know uh, he, he's always very nice and everything we were doing radio. But he did tell me uh, he goes, uh, yeah, man, I'm not, I'm not feeling real well. I go, oh, really? He goes, yeah, he's, we're out all night. You know, his friends in Dallas, and so I really hadn't been to bed. So okay, so we do the interview, and it's okay, but I can tell he's looking a little peaked, you know. And so um, he went, and uh, apparently. <laughs> Like as soon as we got done with the interview, just threw up in the bathroom. So he was he had really been hitting it hard the night before. Well, the next stop he has to make is live television on uh, the local ABC affiliate and the film critic, uh, our local film critic, this guy named Gary Cogiel, is going to interview Chuck. And live television, they're sitting on the couch, and he starts talking to Chuck about 300 and about halfway through the live television interview, Chuck falls asleep. <laughs> Look it up on YouTube. I think it's there. That's awesome. Yeah, if we can, uh, if we can find the clip, I'll show you. Yeah, a lot of my stories are like that. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, See if you can find it. We'll close out the show with uh, with this. If uh, Mikey can find Chuck it, Chuck definitely enjoyed his. Uh, you yeah. Know, you know they say train hard, party hard. Yeah. 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 Yeah, he. Uh, I talked. I would see this film critic Gary Cogiel at various, uh, at various uh, like film screening. Yeah, Good Morning Texas. Okay, turn up the volume here. Champion with a background in martial arts, kickboxing, college wrestling, San Luis Obispo. I know that place. But when he's not fighting Randy Couture or Tito Ortiz, the Ultimate Fighting Championship Arena, he's talking movies today. Chuck Liddell is in Dallas to promote a wild and violent new film based on Frank Miller's graphic novel opening next week. It's called 300. Saw it yesterday. And it is wild. Everyone say hello to Ultimate Fight Champion Chuck Liddell. Nice to see you, Chuck. Good to see you. Welcome to Dallas. You've been to Dallas before? I've been here quite a few times, yeah. Okay. I want to talk about Ultimate Fight Championships because that's something that most of us will never, ever experience in our lives. We, None of us, most of us walking around the planet have the chops of what it takes to get in the ring and do that. How long have you been doing this, and how did you get started in this? I was 12. Yeah? I was in Grumpy Theater, and then, uh, then Devil's in You know how many people at home would watch this, probably thought, that guy gets hit in the head a lot. I'm like, right. eh, not as and much as you think. <laughs> Those aren't headshots right there. Got me in a glass. Yeah, and so you, but when, remember the first time you stepped in the ring to fight like this? Because it's different than college wrestling. Oh, yeah, it's a little different. It's a little louder, a little stressful. Okay, uh, the movie 300. You see right here. It, and you're out to promote the film right now, right? You okay, Chuck? Yeah, I'm okay. All right? You all right? <laughs> all right. Doing all right. Okay. Have you seen the, the movie 300? I saw it, yeah. I saw it a few times, actually. actually uh, last night I saw it on, on IMAX. It was, yeah. It was amazing. I never well, it's watched, wild stuff. I never watched IMAX, so. Right. It was really, really exciting on IMAX. Well, Frank, yeah, IMAX is a whole lot better. And in fact, most movies are a whole lot better in IMAX. But when I watched this movie, which is basically about the Spartans, which is 400 BC, I mean, these guys all fought like crazy. They're real guys that really did exist. I know they fought in the nude back then in the day. You know, in the movie, they don't do that. But they were kind of the ultimate fighting machine, which is probably yeah, the connection with why you were on tour talking about this movie. 
Well, they had no fear of fighting. They, they fought for what they believed in, and they, I think at all times they thought they could win, but they were also willing to give up their life to win what they thought they should win. When you, when you get in the ring, and I, I don't, I don't want to, you know, tie everything into the movie here, but when you get in the ring and you fight, there's, there's no way. I mean, you kind of recovered there at the really end. Give up. I mean, yeah. you either get I think he realized, oh, shit, yeah. I passed out. Yeah. Something you never want to hear. Thanks, man. Something you never want to hear in a live interview if to the interview ask, interviewer asks you the question is, uh, Frank? Frank, you? You okay, yeah. Frank? You all right, Frank? You with me? Yeah, he had a, he had a rough night. <laughs> rough morning. Good end. Oh, that was good stuff. I think I stayed like, fairly pretty close to after that happened. I think I asked Dana about that because I think I had him on maybe like two weeks later or something. And I asked him about it and he goes, Jet lag? No. <laughs> no, Dana goes, he goes, somebody sent me that clip and I sent a plane for him to come home. <laughs> He's like, okay, party's over. <laughs> All right, that's going to do it. That's a good way to close this episode out with uh, our old buddy Chuck Liddell. So, uh, all right, thanks to Aaron Pico for coming on with us. Good luck to him on uh, Saturday night at Bellator 199. Everybody check that out. And uh, if you missed our last episode, uh, Frank and I did extensive breakdowns on both fight cards this weekend, uh, UFC 224, that main card, and then uh, Bellator 199, King Mo and and Bader and uh, John Fitch and Daly and Pico and all that. So uh, go back and listen to our previous episode if you want to hear all of that. And uh, coming up here in the next week or so, uh, Cody Garbrandt will be joining us, Ricky Rocket from Poison, and uh, some other exciting guests. So uh, get ready for all that. I got a comedy gig to get to. Frank's got to pack up because he's going to Disneyland. I got Disneyland envy, man. Wow. You guys have a good time. It's going to be a quick turnaround. You're only there for a day or two, right? Yeah, basically we're going to drive down Saturday after the kids' football game. Mm -hmm. We'll be at Disneyland all day Sunday, and then Monday we'll come back because then uh, I'm off to Nottingham uh, for uh, the ACB. ACB does not sleep. It's a crazy schedule you keep up. Yeah. All right. It's a good one, though. Uh, Brian is and Carl have completely put together, and this is their card, so I'm excited. Oh, good, yeah. good. Yeah, I'll look forward to watching it. All right, Frank, tell everybody about that Amazon banner on phoneboothfighting.com. Ah, just go ahead and uh, whenever you're on uh, phoneboothfighting.com, go to our banner, click on the Amazon banner. By doing so, whenever you shop, anything you buy there on Amazon, uh, a small percentage comes back here to the show. Also, uh, you can follow us on social media. Frank, tell everybody how to find us. Phone book. Oh, excuse me. Facebook and Frank, you okay, Frank? Yeah. Are you with me, Frank? You okay? You got Frank? me thinking about what I have to do when I get home. <laughs> <laughs> that's 300, did you that's see That's what it? I get did for teasing yeah. Chuck. <laughs> did you see 300? Did you see it? Yeah. Uh, what social media? No. <laughs> Facebook and Instagram, you can find it at Phone Booth Fighting, Snapchat and Twitter, just Phone Booth Fight. That's it. And uh, if you want to do us uh, one favor, this is a big one. It won't cost you anything. Uh, click on those five stars on iTunes when you look up Phone Booth Fighting. Give us that five-star rating. And if you have an extra moment, write a favorable line or two in the review section. It really does help us out, and we appreciate the support. So for Mikey producing, uh, Aaron Pico joining us earlier, and Frank Mir, I'm Richard Hunter. We'll see you next time right back here on Phone Booth Fighting.